Today, our first scripture reading today uh, comes all the way from the beginning. This is one of those days that if you like challenging yourself to find the book, today's the day for you because we're going to Genesis. So if you can't find Genesis, I just can't help you. Um, <laughs> we're in Genesis chapter three, uh, chapter two and three, actually. It, uh, it's, it's up there, the, the right thing. So we're doing two verses from two just to give you the context, and then we're going to jump to three. So it's, it's two chap, uh, chapter two, verses 15 and 17, and then the first seven verses of chapter three. This is right in the creation story. Um, this is actually the second creation story. There's two creation stories kind of right back to back. One is more of a poem. The other one is more of just a, 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 a tale, if you will. And, and this one gives us the narrative of what we often refer to as the fall. And so this has Adam and Eve and the fruit. It's not an apple, by the way. Um, but let's listen together to this story uh, in the uh, book of Genesis. The Lord God took the cumin and settled him in the Garden of Eden to farm it and to take care of it. The Lord God commanded the human, eat your fill from all the garden's trees, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because on that day, on the day you eat from it, you will die. Jumping to chapter 3. The snake was the most intelligent of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say to you that you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, we may eat from the uh, fruit of the garden's trees, but not from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, don't eat from it and don't touch it or you will die. The snake said to the woman, you won't die. God knows that on that day that you eat from it, you will see clearly and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw the tree, saw that it was beautiful with delicious food and that the tree would provide wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it and gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then they both saw clearly and knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made garments for themselves. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel lesson today comes from the, the Gospel of Matthew. Again, we've been in Matthew for a while. As we go into Lent, the lectionary actually will take, we'll, we'll go on a path basically through John. We're going to step away from Matthew a little bit, but we're starting in Matthew. And even though chronologically we've been past this, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, we're jumping back a little bit. It kind of it folds in on itself when you're following the lectionary. And so uh, this is actually right after Jesus was baptized. Immediately after his baptism, he goes into the wilderness for 40 days. And this is the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. This is um, uh, Matthew's version of the temptation. So hear this from Matthew chapter 4. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness so that the devil might tempt him. After Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was starving. The tempter came to him and said, Since you are God's son, command these stones to become bread. Jesus replied, It is written, People won't live only by bread, but by every word spoken by God. After that, the devil brought him into the holy city and stood him up at the highest point in the temple and said to him, Since you are God's son, throw yourself down, for it is written, I will command my angels concerning you and they will take you up in their hands so that you won't hit your foot on a stone. Jesus replied, Again it is written, Don't test the Lord your God. Then the devil brought him before a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said, I'll give all these to you if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus responded, Go away, Satan, because it is written, 
you will worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil left him, and the angels came to take care of him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Almighty God, open our hearts, open our minds. May your word be found in my words. Amen. So this, uh, we have these two stories, two stories of temptation. These stories are always yoked together on this day, this first Sunday in Lent. Uh, regardless of the year, you always get these two stories. And the reason for that is that they have a parallel. The Bible is always speaking in parallel, often speaking in parallels, and this is one of the more prominent ones. And one of the interesting things about this story is, that first, we have uh, the, the story of the fall. Uh, this is the story of uh, where, where Eve gets blamed for everything. Um, and one, that's not true. It is important for us to recognize this story. This is a, uh, this is a public service announcement for the day. The Bible can be used to do terrible things. And this passage in particular has been used to um, oppress women for, since it was written uh, 5,000 years ago. That is not what this passage is about. And it's important to recognize that Eve eats the fruit and gives it to Adam, who was with her the whole time. So it's not Eve's sin that condemns humans. It's both of their sins that condemns humans. Both of them are fully invested in this. Uh, there's nothing in this story that talks of Eve having uh, greater responsibility or lesser agency than Adam does in this. They are both punished for this sin. Uh, that's a whole other thing that we could talk about at some point. But I do, it's important for us to recognize that, because even now, especially now, uh, as we are dealing with uh, 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 pretty public misogyny, and uh, gender inequality, um, a lot of that comes from the church. A lot of that has been uh, founded by scripture. We'll talk about that again in a second. So this story uh, does have Adam and Eve coming, uh, talking with the serpent. The serpent who uh, is functioning in the action of, of Satan. Uh, the word Satan means ha- hasatan, is, the, uh, is the, the Hebrew word, and it just means accuser, or tempter, um, or prosecutor. Uh, the, the, the first time we see the word Satan appear in the Bible is in the book of Job, when the role that Satan plays in that is literally just to say to God, I, really? And so that's the role that the devil plays really throughout Scripture, is just to say, really? And, that, and you see that here, where at, he's talking to Adam and Eve and, and says, can you eat from any of these fruits? And Eve says, yeah, we can eat from anything except for that tree. God said, don't eat from that tree. But everything else is good. And the, the snake basically says, Really? Why can't you eat from that one? Like, well, God says we'll die if we eat from that one. He says, you won't die. God is just lying to you. God doesn't want you to eat from that because God doesn't want you to have the same power that God does. And the interesting thing about this is that Eve doesn't say, yeah, God is lying to us. Eve considers the tree and sees that it is beautiful. Considers the fruit and sees that it has worth. And considers the idea of wisdom and knowing that to be good because it's being like God. And so all of Eve's desires are to do these things for good. And even as we see creation, everything is created, and then God says, it's good, it's good, it's good. This, it's not good, 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 except for this one tree in which God put all the evil, and that's the Danny DeVito to the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger twins of, of, the, of the Bible. It's not where all the garbage went in that one tree. No, this is still a good tree. That was a deep cut. Thank you, Carl. 
The, uh, but the whole point of this is, is not that God has put this evil thing there. It's that God has a plan. And what Adam and Eve are choosing is not evil versus good. It's trusting God versus desiring control for yourself. All, it all boils down to, do I trust God or do I trust me? Because the, the only reason you would eat that tree is to say, either God doesn't really know what he's talking about, and this tree is not going to kill me, or God is actively lying to me. And either way, I know better. I want control. And in this other scenario, I don't have control, but now I do. I'm going I'm to take charge, and I'm going to eat this fruit. And it doesn't work out very well. The same thing happens, a similar thing happens with Jesus. Jesus, again, is in the wilderness, in the desert. The idea of fasting uh, is a common thing that had happened, uh, not just in, uh, for Jewish folks, but for many religions. Fasting was a, a means not, it's not, uh, we kind of miss the point a lot of times. We think of it as this denial of pleasure or this denial of, uh, of uh, sustenance, and that's not the point. During fasting, you still eat. Jesus is still eating. He's eating at night. During Ramadan, which is the, uh, the, the Muslim uh, high holy days, it's a month of fasting, they eat at night. During the Jewish high holy days when they fast, they eat at night. You have a simple meal, but you don't eat from sun up to sundown. And the whole point is that you, don't, you aren't eating not to show, oh, I don't have stuff. It's to say, I'm going to kind of clear away, I'm going to clear the table so I can focus specifically on what God has given me. But you're still eating at night. Now, it's a simple meal. And if you go 40 days of just eating, drinking some water and bread at night, you're going to be hungry. If you've ever been on a cleanse or a diet or something like that where you only eat apple vinegar and stuff like that, whatever these weird things are, you don't think at the end of this, boy, I'm so full of apple vinegar, I can, I can go all day. Jesus isn't just filling up at night. He's still stepping away. And a big part of it is that he goes out. He removes himself from his regular routine. That is what the season of Lent is. It's not about denying chocolate because we love chocolate so much. That's why giving up chocolate doesn't really help. It's not about the giving up. It's about the clearing away so that we can focus. It's a time of contemplation so that we can correct. So as I said, with the, how, how the, the scripture in Genesis is used to, uh, has been used to do terrible things, as the Bible has, the Bible has been one of the greatest weapons that humankind has ever had in all of history. And that's, that's an objective statement. Uh, we, we can say that it's been used poorly, which it has. It's been used wrongly, that the Bible is good, that the Bible is truth. This is not a criticism of the Bible. This is a criticism of our use of it. The Bible has been used to justify misogyny. The Bible has been used to justify slavery. The Bible has been used to justify uh, all kinds of terrible, terrible things. And here we have a great example of this. So Satan, Satan comes in again, and again, his role is to say, Really? And he's tempting Jesus, not with terrible things, but with good things. And he's using the Bible to justify that. And so he, he starts off and he says, I bet you're hungry. You should, you, I know you're God. You can do whatever you want. Why don't you just make some bread? Because the Bible says that God is, what, what's the passage? The Bible says that, that bread is a gift from God. I, I, don't, I don't know the Bible as well as Satan does. Uh, <laughs> And then Jesus comes back with the Bible. He says, no, man doesn't live on bread alone. We can do this all day. This back and forth of quoting scripture. And then he goes to the next. Why don't you throw yourself down from this? Because it says in the Psalms that God's going to send his angels to save you. Wouldn't that be great? Let's all see that. 
Why would it be there if it wasn't there to, if you weren't there to prove it? And Jesus comes back, he's like, you're not supposed to test God. That's not there to challenge God to, well, does he really save me? Because it doesn't show trust. And then the last, he's not quoting scripture anymore. He says, you know what, I'm in charge of all this. I can make you in charge of it if you just say I'm pretty great. And Jesus doesn't quote scripture back right away. He's just like, get out of here, Satan. But again, saying hasatan, he's giving him a title, not a name. Get out of here, accuser. Get out of here, tempter. I know what's up, and it's not you. Leave me alone. And then the angels come. So what was predicted in the psalm that the devil was talking about in the second temptation does happen in the third one. This whole act of Jesus going into the wilderness, again, is a means of helping to course correct. I often, when I'm driving through West Virginia, um, I promised my Godfrey I would talk about West Virginia because he's not here today. Uh, but when I'm, whenever I'm driving through West Virginia in particular, um, I'm always amazed at how anybody crossed through those forests. Because they didn't have, I mean, half of West Virginia is now, like most of the mountains are cleared off now. So it's, imagine twice as many mountains before they like, destroyed them for coal. West Virginia's great. Sorry, I didn't mean to start criticizing West Virginia. Uh, even before they put in the highways and all those things, like, imagine trying to, to go over these hills and they're coming up over a hill and be like, what do you see? I don't know exactly what we just passed. More of the same, lots of trees on, on hills. That would be impossible. And yet, Lewis and Clark did this. And I'm always, whenever I go kind of out uh, in, a little bit west into the, to the rural parts of, of the Appalachians, I'm amazed that anyone was able to move farther inland. But the way that they did it was that they had measurements. And Lewis and Clark uh, used, specifically, they used uh, a sextant and an octant and various uh, 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 measuring, various uh, directional things that used the stars as a lines. And first they did dead reckoning, which is basically saying if we walked this far today, and we, we walked like two miles, tomorrow we should be this far, we walked two miles, but that doesn't take into account hills and stuff like that, and so they had to constantly be checking with the stars to see where they were, because there were no maps. They knew, if I go this way long enough, I'm going to hit an ocean, but there are no maps across this, so they didn't have landmarks if they were off, they didn't know. They weren't like, ah, oh, there's a the Grand Canyon, now we know where we are. Even when they hit the Grand Canyon, imagine hitting that, they thought, oh, well, I guess we're done, we'll just have to turn around and go back. And at one point, they, they do encounter indigenous peoples and, and folks like Sacagawea uh, help them to get across because they do know the places. They'd be like, oh, yeah, there's, that, there's where the Adrian's Pizza used to be, and, and now we can go this way. Uh, and yet, Lewis and Clark were able to get where they were because of the stars. They had a map. It was in the sky. And the only reason they were able to do it is because they had to constantly check. And Lewis and Clark gave, made all these calculations that actually weren't, he, he made these celestial calculations the whole time basically to make sure that they're in the right way, but also to create a map of uh, really precise places of where they had been that weren't, the, the figures were so intense that um, no one really calculated them until 1980, which really made Thomas Jefferson mad. He was really excited about it. No one would do it. He thought, science is dumb. Uh, and yet, those calculations can help us know exactly where they were. Now, they were able to do that because Meriwether Lewis knew where the stars were, and knew where the North Star was. 
and was able to arrange. Because the North Star, as, as I said with the kids, North Star never really changes in our orientation. The, the stars move in the sky, really we move and the stars stay in the same place. But oriented to us, the North Star never moves. It's like on an axis. And so if you can find the North Star and you know what time of year it is, you know where you are in relation to things. Because the stars don't move really, really fast. But over time, it's different in November than it is in May. And so Meriwether Lewis knew this and he had the, the right tools to be able to, to regulate how to get there. And so even though they didn't have a map of the land, they had a map of where they were going. And every once in a while, every night, they had to correct. And they were always off a little bit. But they were able to correct and go back to it. None of this would have been possible without the instruments that he had and without a knowledge of the map in the sky. So when I look at it and I think, how did they do that? Well, they couldn't have done it without a map. And I'm not thinking of having a map. And so we can look at our life sometime and realize, well, how am I supposed to be good? How am I supposed to do these things? Because most of the time we're operating without a map. We have Bibles. And if you don't, we'll give them to you. Church loves to give you Bibles. But we don't often know what's in here. We may know it means uh, be good, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, love God. But we don't know that the Bible is actually not in favor of slavery. We just pretend like those parts don't count anymore. We don't know that the Bible is actually not in favor of the patriarchy. It's actually very, uh, very much lifts up the role of women, especially in the New Testament. But we see how it's been used and we think, oh, we'll just ignore those parts. The Bible is a lot more inclusive than the people who have used the Bible. And when we read the Bible, when we understand the Bible, when we know the map, then we'll be able to do it. I got stuck in that, in that cornfield because I was pretty sure I knew both where my house is, what this cornfield is, and where the North Star was. I knew one of those things to be true. I knew where my house was. That was it. But I went in with, with great confidence. That is how many of us go out into the world, with great confidence that we are the ones who know where we're going. Lewis and Clark would have been lost forever if they hadn't every night stopped and realized, are we in the right place? Oh, no, we're off by a little bit. And that little bit could go 100 miles off course if they didn't correct for it. We have seasons built into the church to help us correct. Not only the weekly, uh, the, the weekly rhythm of worship and of, of study that we have each Sunday, but the, the seasonal connections of, of preparation of Advent and particularly of Lent. Again, this is not a season of denial, of, 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 of poverty. This is a season of repentance. Repentance just means to change. Repentance is course correction. Repentance is looking up at the map that we have, looking at the guide that we have, and trying to see, is this, is the direction I'm heading consistent with that? And the problem is, like, like we were talking with the kids, is that there's a lot of things that look consistent enough. In both of these stories, that fruit looked good enough. There's nothing wrong with the fruit. And so therefore, we can justify, well, so we should eat it. God made it, it's good, we should eat it. But it's not part of the plan that God had for them. There are a lot of things that we do that are not inherently evil. Working hard, earning money. But if that's not part of the plan that God has for us for, to love God and to love people, if that money becomes something that we admire more than God, if that job, if that relationship, if, that, if the house that we have, if the, 
our, our vacations, all of our pleasures become something that we would hold up and admire the goodness of that thing rather than the goodness of what God has for us, then we're going to go further and further off course. Lent is a time for us to know where the North Star is. To know, as, as Jesus refers to himself, where the morning star is. The morning star is, uh, is Venus. It was always the first one that you could see in the morning and how people would orient themselves. And Venus is actually not very reliable because it moves throughout the sky because it's a planet. But Jesus refers to himself as the morning star, saying, I'm, I'm the star that will guide you. This is before they realized the north star was the one to follow. But it's the same thing. If we have our load star, then we won't be lost. But it's not just a matter of knowing where the star is, it's also knowing where you are, and knowing where the other stars are, and knowing which way north is. Following Jesus doesn't help if you don't know what Jesus wants us to do. Loving God doesn't mean anything if we don't know that we love God by loving each other, and we don't live that out. Lent is a season of repentance. And repentance just means setting our eyes on that star, correcting our, our path to be following where God is. The longer we go without that correction, the further we can get off course. We could walk with great confidence through the cornfield in the middle of the night and find ourselves further away from home than when we started. This is a time to clear away the distractions so that we would know the voice of the shepherd that is calling out to us. There's a lot of voices out there, and a lot of them sound like our shepherd. So it's very important that we know which one we're following and where that shepherd is leading us. Amen.